What up and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm James Erpine. Jake Lisko going to be with you on segment two and segment three of today's show. This episode brought to you by Rock Auto. Why go to the big box retailer store when you can repair your car from the comfort of your own home by getting any car part you could possibly need? They have over 300 brands, so go there now, rockauto.com. We have a lot to get to before Jake gets to your questions during our weekly mailbag. We didn't have a mailbag last week. Jake, going to take your questions this week, so buckle up for that. Reminder to subscribe to the Locked on Bengals podcast, which... During the month of June, we're doing three times a week. You can check it out on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. And make sure you follow us as well at Locked On Bengals on Twitter, at James Rapine, and at Jake underscore NFL. Plenty to get to on today's show, including Joe Burrow. Should he pull a Tom Brady? Should he try to plan out workouts with his teammates in the month of July? despite the fact that the NFLPA says that players shouldn't work out in groups. Plus, a former Bengals great reaches out to Akeem Davis-Gaither. All of that and more coming up on this edition of the Locked On Bengals podcast. During the pre-draft process, Joe Burrow was compared to Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, all these different greats, right? It was one after another, Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer, Kurt Warner, uh, Joe Montana, as many as you could think of. And now he's going to be faced in the Bengals really roster is going to be faced with a tough decision on Saturday. The NFL players association came out and pretty much said, Hey guys, stop working out in groups. Well, Burrow and the Bengals have yet to get together for an in-person workout this off season for a variety of reasons. One being they didn't know if they were going to have an in-person mini camp or not. As recent as a couple of weeks ago, the NFL had kicked around the idea of trying to get players back in their respective facilities. That didn't happen, and it's not going to happen until training camp, which is scheduled for July 24th. At least that's when the Bengals report for his practice scheduled for July 28th. And yet, according to Paul Daner Jr. of The Athletic, the Bengals hoping to work out together after the July 4th holiday. While I love the idea of them working out, at the same time, they have to weigh the risk versus the reward. They've gotten this far without meeting in person and without throwing to each other and getting to know each other in person. Is it worth going against the NFLPA? Well, one player that Joe Burrow was compared to during the pre-draft process, Tom Brady, has done exactly that. The Buccaneers continue to work out in person. In fact, their workouts have grown. There are more players, more teammates that are joining Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, Chris Godwin, on the practice field to get to know each other. Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski both boasted on social media saying, quote, no excuses as they had pictures of their workouts. While that sounds great, and I get it, football is a tough sport, it's a much harder decision than just about the athlete themselves. Whether you're Joe Burrow, Tyler Boyd, A.J. Green, Joe Mixon, Auden Tate, T. Higgins, these guys have families. It's not just about them. I get it. They're 20-something-year-old athletes. In A.J. Green's case, not. He's 31, right? About to be 32, but still in tip-top shape. They're healthier than probably anyone you know in your life because they're professional athletes and they keep themselves at a higher 
standard. It's just the reality of it. At the same time, they have families. They have wives. They have dads, moms, children. And is it worth the risk? That is a question that Joe Burrow, A.J. Green, and the rest of this roster, they're going to have to answer. And it's certainly there. I don't know if there is a right answer because I totally understand why as a professional, you would want to continue your job. For me, for example, if the Bengals open up training camp to media, well, guess who's going to be there? That doesn't mean I'm not going to be around family, but it's my job to cover Bengals training camp. So I will go. That is a risk. So I can see it from both ways and both ends of it. But there are going to be people, if they don't work out, that see Josh Allen and the Bills working out prior to the NFLPA's advice and other quarterbacks working out with their respective teams and wondering why Burrow didn't do the same. In reality, it probably isn't going to change too much. I do think it would be good to get kind of ahead of the game before training camp starts, getting to meet and know A.J. Green, Joe getting to meet and know the rest of the the receivers he's going to be throwing to. And here's the, the, the bad part about it. He's only thrown to one receiver on this roster so far, and it was before he was a member of the Cincinnati Bengals. Burrow worked out with John Ross in California during the pre-draft process as part of his workouts with Jordan Palmer and TJ Hushmanzada. As great as that was, it would be extremely beneficial if the Bengals could get together and work out even for a couple of days just to get to know each other and lay the groundwork for training camp. There are risks involved, and it is going to be interesting to see what the Bengals decide. I also think it is mighty, mighty interesting that Tom Brady, who most, including myself, call the GOAT, that he went out on his own and completely ignored the Players Association, right? And does he deserve criticism for that? I'm not sure. Maybe the social media posts are a bit much. I get why he's working out. But there's also risk involved. And that risk is something that only Joe Burrow, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, John Ross, T. Higgins, Auden Tate, Joe Mixon, it's only something they can answer. And so there, there is no right, there is no wrong answer. I would love for the Bengals to work out together. I would love for them to do that. I think it would be beneficial. At the same time, I get it if they don't. And I don't think that they're going to go 3-13 and 13 in 2020 because they didn't throw a couple passes before training camp in July. Ultimately, we and we talked about this earlier this week, the off-season work they put in and the, the the time they put in, you hope that that was enough. I get it was different with the virtual offseason. At the same time, the mental aspect, especially for a rookie quarterback, is as big as anything. I would love for these guys to work out, but I also want them to do it safely. If they can do that, then do it, and I'm all for it. Heck, I'll cover it, right? If not, I understand that too. All right, let's shift gears real quick before we get to Jake in the mailbag next segment. And I thought this was great. Brian Simmons. Yeah, that Brian Simmons, former Bengals linebacker, who celebrated his 45th birthday a few days ago. He told, by the way, he told Bengals.com, and this is courtesy of Bengals.com, he could still run a 4-5. So if that dude's still running a 4-5, Brian Simmons needs to make his way to Paul Brown Stadium. Anyways, he reached out to Akeem Davis Gaither. And Simmons uh, it was, knows uh, Akeem's dad. And that's just, that's so cool. It's so cool that he, he reached out to him. Simmons offered Davis Gaither advice, and again, courtesy of Bengals.com. He said, study the defense. Get comfortable in it. Don't go in being content with just being there. 
Don't go in there content with being a backup. If you have that mindset, your actions have to drive that way. If you're accepting of lesser things, then you'll do lesser things. He also said, if you don't start, you make a better name for yourself on special teams. If you're not making any plays on special teams, don't ask why you're not starting on defense. I tell that to every linebacker. If you want a better job than you've got, do a better job at the one you have. I like it. I Honestly, I love it. I think, and that's the, the fun part about this defense to me is these linebackers should all have that mindset, that prove it mode mindset. Like you don't think Marcus Bailey has a chip on his shoulder? A two-minute Zoom call, like two minutes into the Zoom call on the day he was drafted, you could tell Marcus Bailey wanted to prove people wrong. Logan Wilson, same way, right? He comes from Wyoming, small school Wyoming. So he's got a chip on his shoulder, absolutely. And that same thing here with Akeem Davis-Gaither coming from Appalachian State. So, uh, you you know, we've talked a lot about the Bengals draft class on this podcast. But if it's a successful draft outside of Burrow, a lot of that is going to depend on these three linebackers. Do they get at least two out of three right? Do two out of three uh, end up being contributors for the next five, eight, ten years? And maybe not even contribu- contributors, but more than that. will go a long, long way in making the, the Joe Burrow era a success if they have linebackers that can run. Akeem, Logan, Marcus, they all can do that. Run, cover, chase, tackle. These guys fit the bill at least at the collegiate level. We'll see if they can do it in the pros. Up next, it's time for the mailbag, where Jake Lisko is going to answer your questions. So buckle up for that. But first, a word from Rock Auto. Because if you're trying to buy car parts, body parts for your vehicle, anything of that nature, don't go to the big box store. Go to the family-owned Rock Auto. It's rockauto.com. They have over 300 different car makers 300 so it doesn't matter what you drive rock auto is gonna have it you could drive a bentley or a honda or a cadillac or a checker i don't even know what that is but they got it they got daewoo they got Datsun. they got whatever eagle so it could be an older car it could be a brand new ford truck it doesn't matter they have all the car parts that you're going to need and instead of having a mask up and go to a store and touch a bunch of stuff and go talk to someone at a computer you can look it up on your own from the convenience of your own home the prices they don't even compare they're way cheaper at rock auto because they ship directly to you so you can avoid the middleman of that big box store so go to rockauto.com get the car parts you need make the repair save money save time avoid the hassle and when you go to rockauto.com and see all the parts that are available for your car or truck, make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. All right, dear listeners of the Locked On Bengals podcast, I am here, as James promised, to answer your questions in this edition of the Locked On Bengals mailbag. Today, I'm going to start with a few questions that I've got here about extensions. Brian V at B Villono on Twitter asks, what does AJ have to do to get a long-term deal? Is it numbers? Does he need to stay healthy? Is it both? Meanwhile, Matthew Wayne at Matty Wayne on Twitter asks, how optimistic or pessimistic are you that the Bengals get an extension done 
with Joe Mixon before the start of the season. Now, some of you don't know this, but if you do, we do a five-minute and one-minute segment every day for Google News that will run if you tell your phone, hey, Google, tell me the news. I talked yesterday in the five-minute piece about Paul Daner's piece about why it is that I think the Joe Mixon extension is unlikely that, that Paul really expanded on. He talked to uh, LaDainian Tomlinson's quotes about running backs not having the leverage they think they do. He talked about the potential salary cap changes that are coming. could be 30 to $80 million lower than instead of increasing, as owners thought, going down significantly in 2021. That alone, to me, makes it incredibly unlikely that Joe Mixon is signed to an extension before the season starts, especially if he's asking for anything north of $10 million per year. The other factor that Paul Daner Jr.'s piece talked about, and I'm not sure if this is following Joe Mixon at this point or not, is the fact that NFL teams might still knock Joe Mixon's value significantly for what happened when he was a freshman at Oklahoma when he punched a woman in the face. Now, he has been essentially a model citizen since coming to the NFL. He settled that case outside of court. He apologized for what he did. He's, by all accounts, a great teammate. But that's the sort of thing that never leaves you. So if Joe Mixon were to test the open market, he would be contending with the fact that the NFL increasingly devalues running backs not named Christian McCaffrey and Ezekiel Elliott, or if you're Bill O'Brien, I guess, maybe there's your market. I think he faces that and the possibility that some teams might simply see him as unemployable due to what happened at Oklahoma. Now, Brian's question about what AJ has to do to get a long-term deal is interesting to me because the issue with extending AJ Green after this offseason is how many years can you give him and expect to get reasonable production for what you're paying him? Because he's going to get paid. He's been a great receiver in the NFL and he deserves the money that he will get. Now, the other thing to consider is that receivers do not produce at a high level in their mid-30s. I love A.J. Green, but he was born a month after me in 1988, which means he turns, he turns 32 at the end of July. That means that this is his age 32 season. So if you were to sign him to a three-year deal right now, you're getting 32, 33, 34. If you sign him to a three-year deal after the season, you're getting him for 33, 34, 35. The list of receivers in the NFL that are productive at age 35 probably fits on one hand, and if it doesn't, it's two hands. There's simply a significant fall-off for players even at elite levels once they get to their mid-30s. You think, okay, what about Larry Fitzgerald? The Cardinals' many-time pro bowler and occasional all-pro is still going pretty well. In his age 36 season for the Cardinals, he had 75 catches for 804 yards. At age 35, he had 69 catches for 734 yards. And in his age 33 and 34 seasons, both of them went over 100 catches for over 1,000 yards. You think you might get that from 32, 33, 34. If he follows the Larry Fitzgerald path, you might see that 80 catch, 1,200 yard kind of season from AJ for the next three years. But after that, for Larry Fitzgerald, there's about a 30% drop-off in production. At that point in A.J. Green's contract, he's probably one of the top paid receivers in the NFL. Is that a good decision for the Bengals? Probably not from a team-building perspective. From a fan engagement perspective, it might be. From a doing right by your homegrown number four overall pick, 
It might be. But what does he need to do to get there? From the Bengals' perspective, it's it's got to be both. If he's healthy the whole year, that's a huge mark in his in his column because he's had issues with his toe and they've become chronic. He's had these foot issues going on for years. He hasn't been able to finish the season healthy for years. And if he's something he doesn't produce, well, what's the need to keep him, right? You can spend that money elsewhere. That's $20 million that you're talking about. And if you're going to spend $20 million at the wide receiver position, you have to get a guy that's going to produce to make that money, right? Maybe it's not 20, maybe it's 15, maybe it's 18. No matter what that number is, if that's the amount of money you want to allocate to an individual wide receiver in the 2021-2022 season and beyond, would you rather have A.J. Green if he doesn't produce this year or go out there and look at some of the wide receiver free agents after the 2020 season like Allen Robinson, who's been great for the Bears, or Keenan Allen, who of course is great when he's healthy, who's been playing for the Chargers his entire career? I'm not saying that either of those guys are necessarily better than A.J. Green, but after this season, if you're telling me that A.J. hasn't stayed healthy or hasn't produced, it's really hard to imagine it being a good decision to give him a deal that's not steeped in sentimental value. And I've talked about that on the podcast before. That does matter to me. I want to see A.J. Green go wire to wire in his Bengals career, in his NFL career, in stripes. Now, It's hard to justify that, though, from a team-building perspective at some point, right? If he's not healthy, if he doesn't produce, there's only so much time you can continue to give money to a player who doesn't do those things. So I get it from the Bengals' perspective. But as a fan, you want to see A.J. Green do those things, finish his career in stripes. This feeds into Randy Brayton's question at Randy Brayton on Twitter. He asked, would I rather sign an A.J. Green or Joe Mixon to a long-term deal or neither? This becomes a battle of the heart versus a battle of the brain. The brain says sign neither. A running back should never command big money, and I would give Joe Mixon $8 million a year without blinking because that doesn't cripple your roster building going forward, but I wouldn't give him more than $12 million a year because I think that you cannot spend that money as an NFL team on a running back, no matter how good he is. Christian McCaffrey is the best running back in the league if you go by the money, and he cannot drag that team to the playoffs on his own. The simple math says that throwing to a running back or running running plays to a running back is less valuable than throwing to a wide receiver by the simple, and and it's incredibly simple. The logic is you start from further back off the line of scrimmage, you have to go farther before you produce value. That takes longer. That's less likely to happen. Sometimes you produce explosive plays, and that's an important part of NFL offense from a practical perspective, but you can't throw to a running back every play. You have a very hard time in the modern NFL building your offense around a running back, and now you have a premium quarterback, hypothetically in Joe Burrow, right, that needs to play with wide receiver targets. Meanwhile, I just talked about all the reasons that A.J. Green is a risky signing, and I would love to see him stay healthy and show that he deserves that long-term deal. But until he does that right now, the the team-building answer, the long-term view answer, the hard answer, the answer that my brain says that my heart is begging me to disagree with is don't sign either to a long-term deal, no matter how much you like them as players and people. And, and that's hard. Maybe my answer would be a little bit different if James was here to tell me about the virtues of Built Bar, but he's not. So I will tell you about the virtues of Built Bar, the candy bar, sorry, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Has more than 16 great flavors, eight chocolate nut flavors, and eight chocolate nut-free 
flavors. If you have a nut allergy, they have an answer for you. Covered in 100% real chocolate. Soft and easy to chew, easy to deal with. And they fit your macros perfectly. They're great for anyone that is health conscious. You're working out, you need to supplement your diet, great. You want to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat, great. Just listen to the nutritional makeup of a built Bar. The Peanut Butter Brownie Built Bar, which sounds like a dessert, has 20 grams of protein, just 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, and 3 grams total of net carbs. I feel like you're just winning when you get to eat a peanut butter brownie and say you just got 20 grams of protein and 3 grams of carbs. Let's go right on back into that mailbag with some hypothetical questions. First, from English-speaking people at the Plow Co., do you expect the Bengals to sell out their games this year? Depends on capacity. I feel like if the Bengals are at full capacity, they'll sell out early in the season and then the later games in the season might not sell out right away and we'll have to kind of see how they go. If Joe Burrow is healthy, if he's playing well, then sure, maybe they sell out all their games. I don't really know what's going on in Ohio as well as I should to be a guy talking about the Cincinnati Bengals every day uh, from a local COVID perspective, from a outlook perspective on what's likely to be attendance caps, because the word is that the NFL is going to let teams decide what their capacity needs to be based on uh, the local county regulations and, and the county projections and local governments, essentially. Now, if it's limited capacity, I think the Bengals was definitely solid every game they have because people are going to want to see Joe Burrow. The other hypothetical question that's coming up next is from David Brooks, 1985 on Twitter. If there's a full 16-game season, who is more likely to make the Pro Bowl, asks David, Baker Mayfield, Joe Burrow, or Matthew Stafford? Now, this is another bit of a heart versus the brain question. And these are all players on teams that generally don't get a lot of attention. Baker, by what I've seen to this point, is projected to have a season similar to last season. And if he does, then I don't think he's a pro bowler. And that's a real shame if you're a Browns fan because he was the number one overall pick. And he has Odell Beckham Jr. to throw to in Cleveland, along with a new tight end, Austin Hooper, who they bring up from Atlanta. And of course, Jarvis Landry, who I guess is good at wide receiver in the NFL as well, to go with Nick Chubb in the backfield and an improved offensive line. I say all those things out loud. It sounds like there's a pretty good case for Baker. And all of that really rests on does he jive with Kevin Stefanski in the new offense and his third head coach in three years in Cleveland in an organization that cannot seem to establish any continuity. So for Baker, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when there's any sort of continuity in Cleveland and there's any sort of stability in that organization. Matt Stafford versus Joe Burrow is a very interesting comparison as well because Matt Stafford has been very good when he's been healthy. He's generally been a bit underrated by the casual football fan, but Detroit, like Cincinnati, has been pretty obscure, pretty bad for the last few years. I do think he has a chance to continue to put up crazy numbers. The NFC does happen to also have Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, uh, I guess Tom Brady's in the NFC now. But last year, looking at just NFC quarterbacks, the only two that had PFF grades higher than Matthew Stafford were... Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins. And Kirk Cousins did it on about 
100 more attempts because Matt Stafford was hurt, only played in eight games. I don't think he is a terribly likely Pro Bowl candidate. Look at the AFC side of things. You've got Lamar Jackson, who's almost a shoe-in for the Pro Bowl. Patrick Mahomes, who's about a shoe-in for a Pro Bowl. And then there's a bit of clutter. There's no one else that really stands out. The next guy would probably be Deshaun Watson for Pro Bowl voters. Last year, Baker was a 22nd ranked or 20th or so ranked quarterback. If you look at just quarterbacks that had a significant number of attempts. So I don't think he's the guy. Joe Burrow making the Pro Bowl would be an upset just because he's a rookie. Last year, the highest graded rookie quarterback was Garner Minshew at a 70.3. He obviously did not go to the Pro Bowl. Kyler Murray came in at a 64. The prior year, 2018, Baker was the best quarterback in the NFL's rookie class with an 83 grade from PFF. Looking at 2017, if you hear me clicking, that's what it is. Patrick Mahomes on his 39 dropbacks was graded higher than Mitchell Trubisky on his 386 dropbacks. So when's the last time a rookie went to the Pro Bowl? A rookie quarterback went to the Pro Bowl. In 2016, it was Dak Prescott. In 2015, it was Jameis Winston. Prior to that, nobody in 2014, nobody in 2013. In 2012, Robert Griffin III, Andrew Luck, and Russell Wilson, three rookie quarterbacks go to the Pro Bowl, some of them as replacements. And prior to that, Andy Dalton and Cam Newton both go to the Pro Bowl as replacement selections. So out of all of these players, who is the most likely to make the Pro Bowl? Man, this is a tough question because none of them really are, but I think I land on Matthew Stafford ever so barely because Baker is on a dysfunctional team and rookies just don't go to the Pro Bowl that often. At the same time, Mitchell Trubisky has been to the Pro Bowl, so anything can happen and it doesn't really mean anything. That's, that's the tough part about this exercise is with the replacements and the guys that decline, I just have a hard time really caring about the Pro Bowl. Next question is a bit of a philosophical question. Trey Elder at AbeCued on Twitter asks, how much do you value having an enforcer or someone who plays with a chip on their shoulder on defense and who plays that role this year? I I don't value this. I I don't value this at, at all. But I think if you're looking for the edge on the defense, look at the guys the Bengals brought in this offseason. All defensive players in the secondary that are willing to hit in Von Bell, Trey Waynes, and Mackenzie Alexander. All of them love to play in the run game, and they will hit you. So you could see some of this as well from Jermaine Pratt, although he's not as much of a thumper as he is an iron grip. He, he gets his hands on you, and he doesn't let go. The Bengals haven't really had this since Vontez Burfecht, but here's why I don't value this. Here's why I don't care. You can look at a lot of defenses that are really good in the NFL, and, and they don't have this. They have players that are just good. You look at Seattle right now, they still have a good defense led by Bobby Wagner. They don't have an enforcer. They had Cam Chancellor, but he wasn't what made that defense great. They had Richard Sherman. They had Earl Thomas and Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright all on the same team, along with a good pass rush. I don't think that enforcer and good defense necessarily goes hand in hand. I don't think the Bengals have the guy that's going to be the rough up the opponents kind of guy on the team right now. I think that They've got a bunch of high character guys and they have some guys that are willing to play in the run and tackle and play the role that you would be looking for an enforcer to play. But the last time the Bengals had an enforcer was Vontez Perfect, And I mean, he was good when he could keep his head on straight, but 
more often than you would have liked to have seen, he cost the Bengals in big ways and big moments and was a target from officials because of his reputation. Next question, a hypothetical from McCarran Guy at Bearded Bengal. How do you think the snap percentages break down between Carlos Dunlap, Carl Lawson, and Sam Hubbard? Do you think it'll be fairly even where they all play about 66% of the snaps, or is Carl Lawson only getting 30 to 40%? I think it'll be more likely to be the latter. I think that Carlos Dunlap and Sam Hubbard probably are on the field about 70% of the time, and Carl Lawson's out there somewhere between 38 to 50% of the time. You know, high 30s. To, to about the middle of the road if everybody's healthy. Khaled Kareem is added to the team as well, who's going to probably play on rundowns. They've got Rennell Wren in there for their 3-4 base if they want to get extra extra speed and athleticism on the field because he brings a lot of that. So I don't see Carl Lawson getting on the field as much as we would like to see, but you hope a year again away removed from that injury, he gets a little bit more playing time. And if the Bengals are ahead in games, that's when you could see a little bit more of Carl Lawson letting him pin his ears back and go get that quarterback. Next question comes from Ben S. on Twitter at D-B-B-N-I-E-E-T-S-N-I-E-T-S-D-B-B-N-I-E-T-S-D-B-B-N-I-E-T-S-D-B-B-N-I-E-T-S-D-B-B-N-I-E-T-S-D-B-B-N-
I really like PFF as a resource from an analytical perspective. I think they do very good work. And then there are just guys that are good film analysts and do really good film breakdown. And again, for a Bengals lens on that, I really like the work done by Cincy Jungle. And go subscribe to The Athletic and and look at Joe Goodberry's history because all of his film review stuff is still going to be out there and is still available for you to see. I used to do some film writing too back in the day when I worked for PFF. And, uh, you know, one thing you could do if, if you want to learn about formations, for example, as well as general offensive defensive formations, part of your question. One thing I did when I worked for PFF is I charted every play in terms of where players lined up. And, and then you do start to recognize tendencies. You start to recognize formations. You start to watch the game a little bit differently. And I think that that is a great way to learn. You have to pay close attention to the games You can Google, you know, how to beat cover two, how to beat cover three. You can Google what's a sale concept. And and just by starting with those sorts of breadcrumbs and and finding those individuals that exist in the Twitter community, on blogging communities, you'll start to find authors that you like that relay the game in in a way that makes sense to you in a way that you can learn. That's going to do it for this episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. We'll be back next week. James, I believe, is on vacation. It's my birthday next week. So we're going to have some episodes apart most likely. But that's all right, Bengals fans. We are still here for you. Hope you have a great weekend. And until next time, day and have a good one.